I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Kieran. Hey, Eve. <laughs> it is a less energetic intro this week. A bit. It's been a week. How have you been? I feel like my week has been less dramatic than yours. I'm on a work trip for one of my other jobs, so I'm actually calling in from Idaho right now. That's very um, exciting. Where I'm, yeah, I'm doing some onboarding for an editing gig, and uh, that's the most exciting thing that's happening in my week. But yours is fairly dramatic. Yeah, I realized that I need to drop out of school, which I'm very upset about. And so today was sort of like my last event that I planned. Well, it's not the last event that I planned, but it's the first event that was coming up that will be the last event that I'm running. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when I got home from Club Rush today, I sent an email to my club and was like, hey, I have been sick since I started school and there's no accommodations for trans people and my body can't keep up with it. So I need someone to take over. And then I wrote a whole long document about everything that I've been doing and how to take over. And now I'm just sad about it. That sucks. It really, really sucks. Yeah. Um, It's so frustrating because I worked so hard to like get to college and have this like normal thing. And my body is just like, what if we didn't, though? Well, I mean, let's put this in perspective. Like, since stuff went down in the spring, you've been under more stress than you've been under since basically you, like, left the cult. Yeah, true facts. Left home, ran away from home. So, like, it's kind of, it's kind of been a lot to manage and your body has just been putting up with nothing yeah it's been trying and just not so i'm gonna have a lot more free time soon (laughs) you're going to rest you're not going to fill the free time with all all the things only some of them only some of the things (laughs) some of the things in doctor's appointments mostly so if our listeners want to like help you out with stuff i don't know like what's going to what the fallout from this is going to be but like what can people do they can go back my patreon which is the best thing to do because that is the income i rely on right now so that is patreon.com slash k-i-e-r-y we will link it in the show notes later as well um that's like the easiest thing or i am dollar sign k-i-e-r-y-n on cash.me if you just want to like send me money so i can go to the gluten-free bread store that i discovered and i had a chocolate <laughs> croissant and i almost cried because i haven't Don't, had okay, like I a good pastry you. Stop, tell, stop, stop talking about it <laughs> <laughs> help me Amazing. buy bread thank you yeah Mm-mm. i want a chocolate croissant now <laughs> It was so, it was so good. I was just like sitting at like the bus stop and I was just like this, I haven't had a good pastry. So like, mm-hmm. I'll have to send you some is what will need to happen. I have not had a good pastry like in over a year. So yeah, 
That would be a yeah. moment. Yeah. 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 Okay. It was well, it was a full moment. <laughs> at least you had one good thing happen this week. Yes. <laughs> um so this week we've decided we're going to talk about gun control and the the way it's talked about in the communities that we grew up in and like how it's tied into the theology we grew up with. And um, because I happen to be hanging out with one of our own, she decided to grace us with our presence on the show. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself, Katie? Hi, my name is Katie Botkin, and I am in Idaho with Eve right now. Um, And I grew up um, homeschooled all the way through. Um, Some of you may be familiar with my cousins, um, the Botkin family, they wrote, um, like a lot of stay at home daughter stuff and were involved with vision forum. Um, so that's sort of my homeschool claim to fame, <laughs> but you got lucky and didn't yes. get indoctrinated quite as, yeah, in- no, I mean my, my family, my, um, immediate family was a little different in how we were raised, but we were certainly raised fairly conservative mm-hmm. and, you know, there was, there's some theological overlap Mm-hmm. For sure. And since you're from Idaho, I'm sure our listeners will like be wondering, like, do you know Tara Westover? I do not know her. She's actually in southern Idaho. Okay. But she mentions Ruby Ridge. Ruby Ridge is not very far away from here. It's only a few miles away. Okay. All right. Yeah. Which is relevant to yeah. this discussion, yeah. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, thank you for that. I'm so glad you're here. What do you do now? What- so I am the managing editor of Multilingual Magazine. Um and you'll be editing for that a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and we cover language and global business and essentially culture. So I think it's really interesting how culture plays into the way you think about things. Um, and obviously that also goes for microcultures like homeschooling. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's not specific to homeschooling. There's microcultures everywhere that affect how you think, but they are not necessarily as prevalent as the homeschooling microculture is in the U.S. And the the undertones are not as, have not bled over into like the mainstream like political landscape as much. And I think there's something to be said for the fact that like microcultures like Christian fundamentalist homeschooling, Mm -hmm. like because it's largely white dominant, it's not going to be studied mm-hmm. on its own right. terms. Because if it's white, it just, like, gets a pass and doesn't get, like, looked at. Right. Yeah. It's not studied as, like, its own culture. Mm-hmm. Um, except right. by us. <laughs> except, by, <laughs> except by people like us. So, I guess a good question to kind of also touch on is, like, what were... What was the culture around guns in your houses growing up? Mine was very, like, we had guns. We didn't have an arsenal. I knew people mm-hmm. who had arsenals. We did not have an arsenal. But my dad had, like, two handguns. My brother had a bunch of BB guns. We had a rifle. I got a handgun for my 16th birthday because that's what you get instead of a pony. Um, <laughs> so instead of a coming out party or a pony, <laughs> right? Yeah, you, you get a handgun. So, 
my cousins are also super conservative, like more conservative than my family. And they lived in Texas, like in like West Texas, north of Houston, like straight up a couple hours. And we would drive through there um, on road trips. And like the, the first time we went through there was on our way um, east when we were moving from California to Virginia. And I met them before and hung out with them before. But this was like the first time the whole family was meeting the whole family. And I was 11 and a half. And like we, we were there for a couple days. And, and this family was like unchurched because they, all the other churches were too liberal. They, so they had church of at course. home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like probably they would have thought Vision Forum was too liberal, but like still bought things from the catalog because they were good quality. Right. That right. Kind of, they were that, those kinds of folks. So, and if one of my cousins is listening, I'm so sorry. I'm stereotyping <laughs> here. Shorthand is fun. So, they had an arsenal of guns and they did live in the woods. And so like hunting was a normal part of life. And so they had, you know, a bunch of like deer rifles and stuff and various handguns. And so I got really excited about this cause I never shot a gun. And like, I grew up in central California around guns, but my mom, because she's like, a Berkeley kid, like, the one thing she, like, kept from her, like, hippie upbringing was, like, an a healthy terror of guns. And then she went and became a nurse, and that amplified. So she was just, like, absolutely not, no guns ever. And my father was just, like, a city kid, and he didn't know anything about anything. And so he probably didn't know how to shoot a gun or, like, had done it a couple times. But, like... The man's terrified of the sight of blood and would pass out, so I can't imagine he, like, ever really, like, got into it. He certainly was not there that day participating in this, where the cousins took me out and taught me how to shoot. And so I was, like, out with the boys, and they were teaching me how to shoot, and I was having the time of my life, and I loved it. And I get back in, and my mom pulls me aside, and she's like, you would would never believe what they were saying about you while you were out there. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And she's like, they were saying that it's not ladylike for you to be shooting a gun and to be so enthusiastic about shooting a gun. And I was like, well, a girl needs to have self-defense or something like that. I don't know. Like, I, I had some sort of snarky response that, like, was just trying to cover up the fact that I was deeply hurt (laughs) by the fact that they were judging me. I guess they thought I was too much of a tomboy. And so the the outshot of that was that (laughs) I got um, given a passive-aggressive subscription as a gift for my birthday to the King's Daughter magazine. Oh, God. Which, um... (laughs) Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah. So the King's Daughter magazine was, like, basically a self-published... Um, stay-at-home daughters magazine run by a bunch of ATI women who had met each other through, like, pen pal services in ATI. Right. You, Katie's, Katie's Googling it because she's like, I think I know this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. You can do it. Yeah. <laughs> and if any of y'all have been on, like, found us because you were on Free Ginger or, like, knew about this back in the day, like, the... 
King's Daughter ladies ended up being like minor celebrities on Free Ginger. Which, if you don't know what Free Ginger is, don't Google it. You won't get the spelling right. <laughs> um, magazine. You have to look at magazine. Yeah. But, like, Natalie Nyquist and Ashley Ferguson Baker and um, Gretchen Atchison were all the, like, the big names from The King's Daughter. And I made friends, like, actual friends. Like, I'm, I, like, Ashley Baker Ferguson, or Ferguson Baker, of course, I'm saying, she's actually a friend, and I get her name wrong. But, um, no, she is actually a friend, and she was, like, super great being available for me when I was in the middle of my divorce. Lovely human. Totally not writing anything ever anymore, (laughs) because she got so burned by that experience. Yeah. So my sister knew Gretchen, I think. Okay. Yeah. Right. And Natalie Nyquist, like, was, like, mm-hmm. one of the first, like, right, big totally. divorce scandals yeah, that right. we knew yes. of from our, mm-hmm. like, peer group. She married a Marine who was abusive, and she left him. And then she married a scammer who ended up, like, having multiple unresolved marriages in various states, and none of them were legal. Oh, God. Who got her pregnant and, like abused her too but it was bad and this is and this is a morality place warning about how what happens when you raise your daughters to be stay-at-home daughters and they have no common sense about like how to read people so going back to the gun Mm -hmm. the gun culture Mm -hmm. so my the gun culture i was raised with was um we didn't have a ton of guns growing up. We had like a BB gun and like a twenty two mm-hmm. when we were quite young, which was actually probably good because one of my brothers ended up shooting another one of my brothers accidentally with a BB gun. Oh god! Um, yeah, yeah. So he was like shooting him, like quote unquote, playfully, not knowing there was still a BB in the gun, mm-hmm. and he shot him in the chest, and he f- fell out of a tree <laughs> that he was in. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I'd grown up shooting BB guns. It's yeah. not, the, it's not the same. It's not but, the same but, at yeah. all. But obviously you're still not supposed to like point it and shoot it cause you can shoot your eye out as right. the saying goes. Well, my mom's, my mom's like aversion to guns got solidified. Like later in high school, I was like still into them and would find reasons to go shoot them. I, part of it was, I was like aspiring to be like my grandmother who grew up in Texas and was a very good shot and she had a concealed carry license in california this is the one who's like the english professor she and she would be like yes sometimes i go to the gun range and i shoot and all the boys are like oh who's that good shot (laughs) Um, so i was like i'm gonna be like her when i grow up and i was a good shot am a good shot but one of our neighbors another quiverful family who lived around the corner from us they had airsoft guns and because their dad was a marine and so they guns were much more part of their culture than ours. And so all the boys had airsoft guns. And one of the younger boys shot the one of the older boys point blank with the airsoft gun and knocked his front teeth out. Oh. Um, and it like ricocheted and like almost hit his eye and like was deflected by glasses. And my mother was like, and this is why you're never getting a gun. And I was like, damn. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah. So when we were older, um, we did end up getting, like, a handgun and a rifle. Um, and part of that was because we lived in rural Idaho at that point, and there were, like, cougars and bears in the woods. Right. So I would actually carry a handgun 
with me when I walked through the woods to our neighbor's house to drink tea and speak French. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Well, see, and, and like, and like when I worked on the pot farm, like there were cougars in the woods uh-huh. there too. And so we had a sawed off shotgun that we had just on hand. And so, yeah, like mm-hmm. I would walk up the hill to get cell service and mm-hmm. like I would take the, the sawed off with me because, mm-hmm. you know, that's when you need it. Not when it's a person. Right. <sighs> Did you take your gun, your handgun with you when you left, Karen? No, I did not because I did not have a license for it or anything. So I wasn't going to try to oh, okay. like get it across multiple state lines while running away. That seemed like mm-hmm. too many things. Yeah, too many felonies. Oh my yeah, <laughs> I was like, nah, I'm going to limit this a little bit. So no, like my uh-huh. parents still have it, but also it was a... It was a 22 revolver, and it was mm-hmm. really, really hard for me to cock. So, like, I didn't really enjoy using it anyway. I, like, no, I was really good at it because I got it. training by, like, a Quantico mm-hmm. person who, like, offered this. And that was, like, part of my present of getting the gun was I got really, really, really good gun safety training. And I learned how to be a really, really, really good shot. But... It mm-hmm. was just like a, it was really heavy and a lot, and it was just like no, I don't, I don't need to bring that with me. And also, that was like the first time I'd been suicidally depressed, and knowing I had mm. that option available was like a really hard struggle, and I didn't want to like bring that with me. You didn't want to bring it with you. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't ever depressed at that point in my life, and so basically, if my mom had not put that rule on us and been super like hard hardcore about it i i could see myself every single time i see like the whole gun girl stuff you know the girl who's been open carrying an ak-47 around (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah Um, like i can see my former self being that girl like there's no question if my mom had to like given me permission I would have gotten myself a concealed carry permit after I was 16 and just, like, had one on me. Like. Yeah. For no reason. Just because I liked the feeling of the power. That was definitely, so, like, part of my plan, too. Like, when I when I was 16, I was like, oh, yeah, when I'm 18, I'll get a concealed carry. But, like, mm-hmm. other stuff happened instead. <laughs> And I was like, nah. Yeah, I remember that was like one of the things you and I talked about, like how we wanted to get our concealed carries. Yeah. When we were first friends. That was so long ago. (laughs) So long ago. We are very different people now. Yes. Um, Okay, so follow-up question. What we all were like cognizant critical thinkers when Columbine happened. What was our, like, one, what was what our reaction what were we told about it and to like what do people around us say about it else i can start if you want yeah go for i got it. a whole like this is why we don't go to send you guys to public school lecture <laughs> um but also like there wasn't really that much commentary and that kind of bothered me and so i remember doing a lot of like independent googling about it um, because it just wasn't like 
outside of the mythology of the like are you if you're a christian stand up and like the girl getting shot in the face which is like a myth that didn't happen um but aside from the the martyrdom mythology that was like talked about everywhere all the time um i don't remember like anything much about it being covered critically from like outlets like world magazine or or god's world news which is the the kids version of it or from like the pulpit or anything i don't remember people like criticizing or connecting the issue to gun control at all no it was the only thing that i remember hearing was something along the lines of this is this is what happens when you take god out of schools and children have no morality Mm -hmm. um and i'm not even sure where i got that impression because i don't remember anyone specifically talking about it ever Mm -hmm. yeah i remember like like my dad sat us down and told us about it and he was like yeah so this like shooting happened at columbine and then proceeded to tell us the martyrdom narrative where it was like well it was like some people went in and they were not christians and they asked for any christians to stand up and someone did and so they shot them because god reason 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 and yeah, and it was basically And, like, this could like, happen to you, too, so you need to be ready. <laughs> right, yeah, that was a whole part of it, too. It's like, you have to be ready to take that bullet for Jesus. If somebody asks you if you're a Christian, you have to stand up and say that. And there was also a little bit of, like, see, also schools are bad. And, like, but, but it was mostly the, like, it was a, a martyrdom narrative. Mm-hmm. And that was all I remember hearing about it. I didn't really have like i didn't really understand what a school shooting was because i didn't really know what a school was so i was like okay (laughs) i don't really know what that means but that seems sad like that somebody died so that was like as much as i understood yeah yeah i think it's i think it's interesting that in all of these stories like guns as like neutral is the assumption mm-hmm. and schools as bad is the other mm-hmm. assumption. Yeah. Like I think that's the that's the dominant thread. And so I I don't know because I'm not super like deep in, in that culture anymore. I don't know what like is being said about like the the absolute rash of school shootings that is like Oh it's be- I think I think it's still like this is what happens when you take God out of schools. Yeah. And, I, well, but it's not just school shootings. It's yeah. like everywhere all right. the time. And so yeah. like, um, I don't, I mean, I remember my mom after the Aurora, Colorado shooting, just being like super upset and like not really having a way to process it. And I, I wonder if that's like the limit that like these communities have gotten to. My mom was still fundamentalist when that happened. So I, I remember that coming up that way. Um, but like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. What, you, you're more in touch with this community, Katie. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of the, um, you're taking, not just you're taking God out of school, but you're taking God out of the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course this is what is going to happen if you have liberal ideology. So violence is a part of like liberal ideology yeah. as like a default. Essentially. Yes. Uh-huh. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you know this. 
I, I, right, I have become so much more violent <laughs> since I became a pacifist and left the church. Right. It's fine. <laughs> That's how that works. Um, which actually brings me to, like, my next question, which is, like, so I had this, like, really, like, one of the most formative nights of my life was this night where two of my good friends and I stayed up all night talking theology together in the baptismal font of a church where we were staying in the basement of because we were on like traveling on a dance tour. Ramey, who was been on the podcast, was one of those, and then our our friend Robin was the other. And Robin's a Catholic, and Ramey was a Presbyterian at that point, and I was like, you know, a fundamentalist evangelical, and non-denominational. So we we were comparing our our theological values back and forth and the the like silent fourth party of this conversation was a friend who was absent who, our friend Shannon who is a Mennonite and Shannon had like in the year leading up to that had worked through I guess we were all like 16 or 17 she had gotten herself registered as a conscientious objector which meant that she would be exempted from the draft which was a Mennonite tradition and I was one of her witnesses for it. Like, testifying, yes, this is not a new change of heart for this person. This is, like, one of their things that they've held, their values that they've held for a long time. And I could say that because Shannon and I had talked ad nauseum about that since we were, like, 14, 15. And so we were having this, like, further conversation with that as, like, the context with, like, the Presbyterian and the Catholic about just war theory. And what each of our churches taught about like the right to preemptive action which is kind of like the basis of just war theory which is like there is a like a tipping point in a conflict when preemptive action will prevent more deaths than allowing the conflict to continue to escalate until the other side like takes action and so therefore like god would approve of this kind of war basically because you're saving lives in the long term. And this was the this was right at the height of the conflict in Afghanistan. And so this was in the back of our minds as like young teens because we were thinking about this in terms of like why it was right for Bush to invade Iraq. Because that was in our minds just war. Did you guys talk about this growing up? Was this like in your, your culture and your mindset? Like just like aware in the water there? Yes, for sure. Yep. Not necessarily related to the Iraq war, but as a concept, yeah, for sure. Like, the just war idea that, you know, it, it's essentially assumed that if you are bringing Christianity mm-hmm. into the world with your war or with anything else, that it's justified. Oh, right, because then yeah. once you, like, yeah, finish dominating, yeah. then you can, like, bring in the missionaries. Right, you're doing God's Thank work. Thank you, Cortez. So mm-hmm. Thank all... you, Cortez, for set, setting that standard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, all of the religious wars were considered just, and not just religious, but any time that any Christian, Christian, quote-unquote, or whatever you want to call it, from a Christian culture came in and decimated or destroyed um, mm-hmm. a culture, then it was fine because it's not genocide, it's bringing the gospel ultimately. Right. Right. It's You're saving all of those people before you murder them. 
So it's totally fine. Right. And yeah. did you get indoctrinated with this too? I did. My parents didn't like call it the just war theory or anything, but they definitely ascribed to that ide- ideology where it was like, well, it's justified because you're keeping people from going to hell. Or, like, it's justified because of, like, whatever. Like, there's that one story in the Old Testament where, like, there's this bear that, like, God sends to, like, attack all these, like, sinning children or something. And... Well, okay. This is one of my favorite, favorite Old Testament stories. Who was the prophet? Was it Samuel? Which... The bear and oh, that's Elijah. It was Elijah. Okay, it was Elijah. So yeah, he was going. He was going okay. bald. Mm-hmm. He was going bald. Mm-hmm. Some children were laughing at him because he was going bald. Yeah, or Elisha, I think actually. Elisha, yeah. not Elijah. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna fact check yeah. ourselves. While it's we're one of about the this. two. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's in Second Kings. Yeah. Let, let's get the exact. Second Kings two twenty three to twenty four. Um, I'll read the passage if you pull it up. <laughs> this is just, it's, it's one of the f- most fucked up Bible stories. From, <laughs> this is the NIV. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. He turned around and looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the wool woods and mauled. How many of the boys? 42. 42. <laughs> wow. 42 boys because he was bald. Yeah. Yeah. And that is just war theory. That is that is the essence of just war theory. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> during that night in the baptismal font, one of the questions that came up was how I could justify, like, in theory, like, agreeing with the pacifist ideology and still go to martial arts classes. So my 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 father and mother decided that the, like we weren't participating in any extracurricular physical sports um unless the entire family could participate in it together. And the thing that they came up with was martial arts. So we all as a family went to martial arts classes like 3 times a week for all of my high school it was both like wonderful and awful and like wow i almost got a black belt but i went to i went to college right before i was supposed to test it's a whole thing um but they were like so how do you deal with this when you're going to martial arts and i'm like well like martial arts is like at least the school i was in was like teaching itself as a pacifist art as a like a way of like stopping harm before harm is caused so like their principles were kind of like these common sense things about like of how to avoid a conflict and those were the things you learned first and then they taught like okay now all of the things that we're going to teach you are how to stop a conflict so they're not about hurting someone they're about disabling someone who's continuing to attack you and so then the question was posed to me with like, are like, but if someone was attacking someone in your family or like next to you, what would you do? Would like, if you had the ability to hurt that person, 
but they hadn't attacked you first, like how would you deal with that? And that's that's what that question is what all of the theological and ethical conversations come down to mm-hmm. in terms of the the Christians and gun control. Mm-hmm. Is what would you do to defend your family? Yep. And my response at that point in my life, because I was trying to be like super ethically consistent, was like, I would not defend that person unless like, like there were mortal wounds about to be inflicted or something. Like I would just like allow that person to defend themselves because it's not my responsibility. And, and this is, this is like that libertarian kind of mindset of like, not my problem until it is my problem. Mm-hmm. Like to each their own, like do what you want, harm none. Right. And so I think that's part of that like mindset behind, mm-hmm. yeah, but if I have a gun, right. I'm not going to use it unless it's like coming from me. So I'm not going to like do that. But then there's the flip side of like, if you're not a pacifist Christian and you do have a gun, and then your rationale could be the just war theory one of like, yeah, but I'm doing this in order to prevent more suffering. Right. Yeah. So it's one of those two. Yeah. And I, so this brings up kind of an interesting point, which is the assumption that if you have a gun, you will be able to defend your family. Ah, uh, yes. In a pinch. And I have actually had um, an instance where I was broken in on and let me tell you, I did not have the time to do anything. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought about this for a long time, for many years. I actually, for a while, was sleeping with a gun, like a loaded gun next to my bed mm-hmm. because I was trying to prevent this from ever happening again. Right. This thing that had happened. Yeah, this thing that happened right. where I, I had multiple multiple people break into my house in the middle of the night and not have the time to react, like to defend myself at all. Yeah. <clears throat> And I realized that having a gun next to my bed was actually causing me more stress than it was doing anything for me. Well, and I've talked with Robert about this extensively from Behind the Bastards. Like, I've mentioned before that he and I dated for a little bit. And, like, he had guns. Like, Texas and Oklahoma childhood and dude had guns and has guns and still carries and I was not comfortable with it and I had to like talk with him a lot about that and one of the things that he said was a responsible gun owner will be training weekly with their gun Mm -hmm. because if they're not they won't be able to use it correctly in a stressful situation and then when the stressful situation occurs, they will basically commit malpractice. Something will go wrong. They won't use it or the wrong person will get shot or somebody will get killed rather than disabled. And so that was like the deciding element for me with like trusting him as a gun owner because I did see him doing that. Like regularly going to the gun range and like training in order to be a responsible gun owner. But, like, most of these people who just have guns aren't doing that. No. They're not out there practicing. They're not out there doing drills. They're not out there being aware of what it is 
what is required to be a proactive handler of a gun. Well, and even people who are extremely well-trained, like military military people, mm-hmm. if like I've dated military people and talked to a lot of military people, and they have PTSD because you can't do it perfectly. Yeah. There is going to be collateral damage. There is going to be... And they, I mean, again, these are people who are professionals. Yeah. Who are handling guns professionally. And there's a lot of um, trauma, mental trauma and emotional trauma relating to... um, The guilt? To to the guilt, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not as simple as, well, you know, if if I practice shooting, everything will go fine. Because, again, if you're in my situation... You're not going to have time to react. Mm-hmm. And if there are multiple factors, you could potentially do something wrong, even if you're doing it supposedly perfectly in terms of training. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the culture around guns that like ignores those those mm-hmm. facts and like is, is I think it's it's tied to this manifest destiny stuff. It's the it's, it's there's a romantic mythology about what it is to be an American. Yeah. And. And this romantic mythology includes like having no regrets for taking action to defend quote unquote your land, which like was never your land. You stole it and killed people to get it. And, and like, and it just trickled down from there and it causes you to overlook all sorts of, all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, to justify like having it. And that's, that's what a romantic mythology always does. This is like a complete sidebar. Sorry. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like Go for the it. thing that really radicalized me against like wanting to have a gun that I'm just kind of now remembering is mm-hmm. when we moved to Georgia when I was 14, there was not like a week that went by that there wasn't a story about a toddler killing themselves or someone else because their police mm. officer dad yes. left a loaded right. gun on the counter. And I just, like, couldn't deal with that. Like, that seemed so ridiculous mm-hmm. to me that, like, people who are trained professionally were that careless that every week or every day, like, somebody died because a toddler got their hands on a loaded gun. And I was like, that was the thing that I was like, I don't want to have a gun in my house because I don't Mm -hmm. want that to happen. I don't want that to be a possibility. And that was like the thing that I didn't expect to radicalize me, but that like after living there for four years really kind of did because it was just like, that's unnecessary. So that's a complete sidebar. That was like the thing. No, no, no. That's Yeah, that that that's a similar reaction on my part to that. Mm -hmm. that. Those stories are super common. Um, and also, like, helped clarify that for me. Yeah, that happened in Coeur d'Alene just not all that long ago. Mm-hmm. It was, like, in a Walmart or something. A toddler shot with her mom. Of course. Yeah. It's tragic. It's, <laughs> it's horrible. It's unnecessary. It's awful. And, like, so when you dig into, and we'll have a, a link in the show notes about this, like, when you dig into the history of gun control in the United States, um, time has a good piece on this. The subtext to that is this mythology. The subtext to that is the assumption that gun owners are responsible. The subtext to it is the like manifest destiny, like 
like white might kind of stuff and the more complicated people's awareness of themselves in history became the more complicated our gun laws got so most of these gun laws happened in reaction to some very very high profile public shooting or massacre and i think that's that's one of the things that's like so distressing about Sandy Hook in particular, like I know a lot of people feel like that was the turning point where it's like, okay, literal babies are being massacred. Yeah. And there hasn't been a gun law in reaction to it. And that's like a break in our pattern. Yes. And I think, I think that goes back to the, like the lobbying power of the NRA in this day and age which you did some digging on. <laughs> yeah, I found out they don't say who their board is and they have like 76 board members and like, mm. yeah, Sandy Hook is really interesting because Sandy Hook also happened right after the Tea Party takeover. So like our entire mm. Congress had just been like... There's a word I'm looking for, but like redone. And so we had, yes, it was flipped. Thank you. It was flipped. And we had like all of these people who ran on like the Tea Party platform. And as I remember, the Tea Party platform was extremely, extremely NRA entrenched and like very, very much into like, we can't have them take away our guns. Yeah. Well, because I was at Grove City, like, during the Tea Party, like, rise, and a lot of my friends were very pro-Tea Party, and basically the only thing that kept me from being pro-Tea Party was the fact that, like, I didn't think it was Christian to, like, abandon social services in every way, and, like, the gun control question. Yeah. And believing that, like if I was going to be a pacifist, like it had to be, it had to be tied to that. Um, and then we look at like the, the NRA's ties to other things. And we found something interesting. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) there's from like original gangster listeners will know, um, our opinions about ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, and what that is. If you haven't figured that out, go listen to the episode called Conspiracy is R- Real. Um, about ADF. Yeah. Yeah, they're a fun little hate group um, run by Mike Ferris right now. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, like... Like, some of their lawyers are members of the NRA, which, like, really isn't surprising. There's not an official like documented link between the two groups but there is quite a bit of overlap in the membership and in like the things that they fight for like the nra is basically only focused on guns but like yeah i would say also in there's overlap in terms of strategy yes there is overlap in terms like, of strategy. Like, runs through the courts, but, like, the agenda is very, very similarly yeah. handled to NRA's lobbying habits. Yeah, they just have, like, 
the NRA is like more highly focused than the ADF, mm-hmm. but like they they have the same ideology, they have the same values, they have the same strategy. They well, have the a NRA lot of overlap. Is not so much more. The NRA is not more highly focused. They're just better funded. Well, right. I mean, like the NRA is basically very focused on like gun control, and the ADF is like everything. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's yeah it's, it's, it's that like kind of focus. But, like like they have the like, one the drive. I'm yeah. I'm talking about like their drive to get their issues to the like front of the line. Yes, yeah, that is it, similar. You, so, I think it's I think, you know, not every fundamentalist Christian is going to be pro gun, but I think there's a lot of like reasons for fundamentalist Christians to like to like find like shortcut rationale to be pro gun. And to find a, like, really solid support in their community for that decision. Do you want to talk about one thing that you saw in your real life <laughs> um, that reflects this? Yeah. So, um, so my cousins, who are um, kind of, like, well-known for heading up the stay-at-home daughters movement, um, have kind of pivoted to making most of their money through um, like gun sales, not not specifically guns, but like um, the the paraphernalia that comes with guns. Yeah, gun accessories. Gun accessories, so like holsters and body armor and such. And um, to me, this kind of highlights the fact that it's very pragmatic. The idea that you can actually support your family doing something like having guns like they literally couldn't support their family like running a business of like being like minor celebrities in the fundamentalist world and selling books and like making a documentary about themselves (laughs) i mean that's very difficult to you know make much money doing so so, yeah yeah. so they 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 pivoted to guns so yeah so it's and I think that also ties into like a broader theme of guns help you provide for your family because you have to like go out and hunt which with the, the dwindling <laughs> population of right. it's such a it's yeah. such an it's like a literal metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Um and it also I mean it also is I think hugely popular in the Christian kind of more fundamentalist community because the idea is that you're arming yourself against a future evil government or present evil government. Because you are always afraid of being persecuted for your religion. Yeah, yeah. I think you you said something while we were getting set up mm-hmm. for the show about this, right? Yeah. So, and the I mean the the irony is that fundamentalist Christians are worried about having a police state, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but which is yeah. like why you would want the, like a militia to assemble right, to overthrow exactly. an abusive government. Exactly. So yep. the irony is that in arming yourself against a police state you're creating these opportunities for mass shootings and then that in turn is essentially creating a police state because the proposed solution is to have a policeman in every school on every street or to arm teachers yeah to arm teachers to essentially offer our lives up for public consumption for police consumption um and police oversight at all times because we're so worried about mass shooters because yeah. of the police, you know the fear of the police state so it's just yeah, a self it's fulfilling a pro- prophecy it's like well we're mm-hmm. doing this thing that's causing this thing look aren't we right for doing this thing 
frustrating. <laughs> now, what would the fallacy detective say about that one? Yeah, yeah. Uh. Uh, sorry, that was a very like, was a deep cut homeschool joke, guys. If you didn't get that, don't worry about uh, it. I like, it's been so long since I've seen that book and thought about it. Don't Google it, guys. Just don't. Um, so, so this, this whole like justifying defensiveness, justifying like preventative violence, justifying manifest destiny thinking, the like the imperialism behind that, like it all goes back. It all goes back to the Bible, (laughs) like everything. I like everything. So we're going to link to this, like, beautiful little piece from a, uh, a, a funny figure. Not, like, super well-known, but, like, well enough known that, like, the three of us were like, yeah, we have heard his name places before. We've heard of his podcast or his news show, his radio show. Um, this guy, Greg Kugel, he talks about, he talks about those passages in the Old Testament where God is basically telling the Israelites to go massacre the Canaanites in order to take over the land that God has given them. Like, you know, like, kill everything that breathes. Yeah. Basically. And so a lot of Christians, like, have this, like, moment where when they read those passages, they have this, like, oh, shit, how do I reconcile this with like the idea that like I like worship a God who's just and loving and fair and fundamentally good and so the question becomes like do these passages where God is commanding literal genocide undermine like my ability to believe in the goodness of God like does this change the nature of God and there's a lot of ink that's been spilled in, like, trying to, like, reconcile these things. And so we're including this blog post as a sample of how that gets played out. And I really don't want to give him any more time. <laughs> yeah. But y'all can take it if you want. <laughs> yeah, my parents, like, were really good at justifying the genocidal maniac Old Testament version of God as like being merciful because Jesus hadn't come to save the world yet, and so therefore it was somehow well, right. Is that anti-Semitic covenant theology yeah. stuff? Yeah, yeah, and like, and and also there's the the old standby that we've talked about before that is just like, well, God's ways aren't our ways, so even if we don't think yes. it's yeah. fair <laughs> or just, that. like, God did it, so it's obviously good, and that's the like right how you deal with you know that those canaanites business. they were gonna they were gonna invent meth- weapons of mass destruction way before it ever ha- was gonna happen right. so we, we just saved the entire globe right yeah yeah like, i don't know a lot sorry that was it, that was in poor taste it's a lot of justification well i mean but like that was Did you that guys... was basically used yeah, to justify it though no, we didn't really talk about, like, you're asking about, did we talk about, gen- like, ge- the genocide? Like the, the, of the, yeah, the Old Testament genocide. So you, know, you guys, like, have a conversation really about it? We didn't really ever have a conversation about it growing up. And I think it was because, like, my parents were fundamentally uncomfortable with it and couldn't 
talk their way around it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've heard sermons about, like, that are justifying the genocide in the Old Testament, essentially. Um, but, and I remember my dad, in particular, being very uncomfortable with those sermons. Did our, our favorite neo-Confederate, Doug Wilson, have anything to say about this? Um, it may have been his associate, Toby Sumter, who was preaching about it. Uh-huh. Got it. Cool. <laughs> she got lucky enough to attend his church for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was I was just trying to remember if we've talked much about Vision Forum and Doug Wilson. I know we've touched on it, but like, well, they're well, different. Are, yeah, they're, separate. Are... they're separate. They're <laughs> separate. Yeah. There's Doug Phillips. Thank you. Yeah, I know they're. I know they're, I know they're Doug different. Wilson. Yeah. I don't think we've had an episode about. <laughs> Doug Wilson. Yeah. Oh, There's so many Do you Dougs. Have time for another while I'm here. <laughs> Maybe we'll cover that soon. I'm just gonna put that down in the list. Uh-huh. <laughs> we. You should also do one about fucking the nanny on that essay, like yeah. a, second, a secondary. Oh my god. Up. Yeah. Fucking the nanny will ruin your ability to keep the 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 reins on your cult. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't cult do that. leaders 101. Don't fuck the nanny. <laughs> um. <laughs> okay. So. We are running long. Do we have anything else that we want to cover with this? I mean, I feel like we've given like a good primer on like how this kind of rationale works. Yeah, I feel like we've what would done pretty well. If like one of our listeners has a fundamentalist Christian relative who is super pro gun and wants to try to like talk them into voting for a candidate who is like <laughs> pro-gun control what should they say i mean the only thing that i can think of that might actually resonate with them is sharing like a personal story like the story that i shared mm-hmm. um because i think rationale and talking points don't do a whole lot when you're very entrenched in a certain ideology, it has to be like a personal. It story. has to be an yeah. emotional connection because yeah. that's an emotional. It's an emotional decision already, as we've shown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Kieran, do you have anything to add? No, that would also be my approach because it's you can come at them with all the talking points, but they've like prepared themselves against the talking points. It needs to be like this is how mm-hmm. it impacted me or someone I know or like this is like where I'm coming from because I can't remedy these two things it has to be something that's like personal yeah I think there is something I think there is a way that you could talking points it through if you wanted to like take the time like that would be like how my friends got to me with like the pacifism stuff in high school, we're, like, talking about, like, just war theory as being fundamentally unchristian and, like, more tied to empire mm-hmm. rather than actual Christianity. And, like, going th- – there's there's a way to trace that history mm-hmm. and to be, like, show that Christianity is more aligned with pacifism than not. And then from there, you can extrapolate out. But, like, that takes so much that takes a lot work. That's a long game. That takes you have so much to be, work. like, there for it. Yeah, <laughs> which not many of us have the patience or the emotional <laughs> yeah. energy to do it. Yeah. So you, no have, one, you have your options. Literally, at this point in my life, no one could pay me enough to do it. So I, <laughs> I'm not going to. Yeah. 
Ooh, okay. Yeah. Well, tune in next time for <laughs> micromanaging something your else without yeah. fucking a nanny or something. <laughs> something that isn't gun control. <laughs> You're welcome. You're <laughs> you're welcome, guys. <laughs> Guns are bad. The end. Yeah, we'll have to do something right. a little bit lighter next episode. Look, <laughs> if the news give us something that's lighter next episode. We'll be light next episode. Yeah. <laughs> well, the last one we covered, um, Katie was uh, Trump's King of Israel jokes. Oh, nice. Not jokes. Yeah. Comments. Yeah. He wasn't joking. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he had his own Harry Potter episode. moment. It was no. Yeah, no. Whew. All right. Well, we will try to give you lighter content next week, and stay tuned for more. Check us out on Patreon if you haven't yet. It's Patreon.com/slash Kitchen Table Cult Pod. We're also on Instagram at the same handle, and Twitter, and go to our website to ask us questions. KitchenTableCult.com. Bye. And do support us on Patreon. We we put a lot of like emotional labor into this, and we're mining our own histories and trying to pay our rents while you know ex- excavating trauma every week. So yeah. please do chip in, and thank you for your support. Um, the music on this podcast is from the band The Heavens from their album Stenazo. And um, yeah, follow us on all the social medias. Rate, like, subscribe, heart, whatever it is that's on, whatever it is that you use, do that. Share it with your friends, family, grandmother, aunt, and bus driver. (laughs) Yes, especially the bus driver. They need something to listen to. Also, thank your bus drivers. Also, thank your bus drivers. Also, tip tip your baristas. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.